The goal of this show is to help healthcare organizations scale by leveraging real estate strategies and interviewing high-level healthcare executives who are actively in the trenches in order to pull out lessons learned along the way. If you'd like a free site selection analysis from our team or you'd like to learn more about how we're acquiring real estate through our fund on the blockchain, visit us at www.reuniversity.org and drop us a line. That's RE as in real estate, university.org. Hello, welcome back to Commercial Real Estate Secrets. I'm your host, Austin Hare. We have the pleasure of having a repeat guest on the podcast today, my dear friend, Gary Bird. He was on the show about two years ago now, if you want to go check out the initial podcast recording we did. And he's the CEO and founder of SMC National. They're a dental marketing, digital marketing dental company that just made Inc. 5000 for being one of the fastest growing companies in America. So Gary, congratulations. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Excited to be here again. When we were at, uh, I believe it was at Dykema the last time we caught caught up, um, you said, hey, let's do another podcast. I'm always down to shoot a podcast with you. Excited to talk with you today. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Um, so yeah, I, you know, a lot of things that we can talk about on the show. Um, growing, you know, becoming one of the 5,000 fastest growing companies in America, that's huge. Um, so I want to dive into that. I know that I think you started at 15 or you're at 15 employees last time we talked. Now you're at 100. So it's not the only metric that matters, but it's definitely one of them that matters. Yeah. And so, you know, that's not hard. That's not easy. I mean, I had yeah. my when I had the gyms, I had about 23, 24 employees and it was crazy, like trying to manage all those people. So, yeah, I can't even imagine. But first, before we go too deep into the weeds, um, let's go just can you give everybody kind of like a, your background if they want to get real deep yeah. into your, your history? I mean, they can watch, they can listen to that first recording that we did, but just from a high level, like, you know, who are you? Where did you grow up? How did you, how did you get into this industry? Yeah, definitely. So in 2008, I quit my job and I thought it would be a great idea to start a company. And then the economy <laughs> fell apart and uh, people were losing their houses. Businesses were shutting down. And so uh, it actually ended up being a great opportunity though. I, I, I did email marketing and I worked with a lot of restaurants that needed the help. Phone books were very popular back then, and those were, you know, five, six, five, six thousand dollars, and uh, the, people didn't have the money to afford it anymore. So they pivoted down to a cheaper way to reach out to their customers, which was email, and that was very, very successful. Then I started adding more services. Eventually, I got into dental. Figured out that we could provide uh, predictable patients for dental offices, and eventually we just niched down just into dental. And uh, about uh, right before COVID, we were at about like 15, 18 team members somewhere in there. And the whole, again, the economy crashed, as everybody knows. And <clears throat> we ended up um, pivoting and we were able to grow the company. We, we about three, four X'd it in about 12 months, somewhere in there. Wow. Uh, it was kind of crazy. Uh, and then we eventually we are now about five X from where we were at covid and we've made the Inc. 5000 list two years in a row. The first year was really painful. I've never experienced growth that fast of growth. And it's kind of every entrepreneur's dream, right? Like if I came to you right now and said, hey, we can 5X your company in the next you know, 18 months, you'd be like, sure, sign me up. But there's all kinds of unintended consequences that come with that. I learned more in that, that year, year and a half span about business than I learned in all the years combined just because we were moving so fast. And I just had to learn just a lot of new things. And so now this second year that we've made the list, it's been a lot less painful. We've built, rebuilt infrastructure. Now we're not, you know, tripling or quadrupling or anything like that. It's, it's more of a steady growth, a lot more manageable. And uh, yeah, I learned a lot of stuff along the way. It's been fun. 
And uh, now we are just servicing dental groups and helping them scale and grow their organizations. Our company wise, always we're always growing. And that means we're always helping our team members grow, always helping our clients grow and their team members grow. And by default, our company is always growing as well. Hmm. So how, just real quick, how did you go from restaurants to dental offices? So it's a good, great question. So that was just the restaurants needed the most help at that time. And they didn't have the finances to afford phone books anymore. So I said, hey, I can make your slowest day your busiest day. And, and they would go, how are you going to do that? I'm going to leave these email pads here. People are, this is before tablets and things like that. And so I'm going to leave this. And there was POSs were not digitized yet. Okay. So these were like normal cash <laughs> registers. Right. And so here's a pad of emails. I'm going to, you're going to have your team member fill these out and we're going to give them a bonus. Whoever gets the most emails is going to win. And then I'm going to come back, collect those, enter those. And then I'm going to send out a coupon or some kind of promotion to your um, customers for whatever your slowest day is. So if you say, you know, Tuesday is my slowest day, we're going to do a lunch promotion for Tuesday. And guess what? People would come on Tuesday and help them grow their business. And it, it was it was something they could use over and over again without paying a bunch of extra money. And it was perfect for where the economy was at at that time. And this would be pr- prior to social media or anything like that. The social media was out, but businesses weren't using it heavily yet. So that was a huge opportunity. So from that, I started working with other kinds of businesses. I started working with furniture companies. I worked with uh, tire shops and really learned marketing. Like I didn't know anything about marketing when I started. I know that sounds crazy, but I didn't. And so I just started going through and actually learning how marketing worked, what people responded to, how to get people more customers. And eventually somebody referred me to a dentist. And of course I was like, yeah, I'll work with a dentist. And we were, we, over about a four year span, they went from about $90,000 a month to about uh, $400,000 a month. And which is awesome, but I didn't realize how awesome that was. So he started referring us to more friends. We still work with him. He's still a client. Um, This is probably 10 years ago. Um, And so he started referring us to other dentists. They referred us to some consultants. Those consultants referred us to more clients. They referred us to more clients, which referred us to more consultants. And eventually we just kept moving up the ladder that way. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's how we got into dental. And now we only work with dental groups. Um, yeah. So you pretty much 5X their monthly revenue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, all right. So yeah, now let's, I'd like to touch on the real estate component of a little, a little bit. I know you're not really involved in the site selection part of it, but you have kind of like the benefit of being able to see a lot of these really prominent DSOs, where they're located, where they're physically located. Yeah. I mean, you have a large sample size to be able to choose from. So what are the commonalities that you've seen between some of the most successful practices uh, in, in terms of site selection or, or real estate locations? Well, I'm definitely not an expert at selecting the right location for foot traffic purposes. I mean, that's definitely your cup of tea. What we're really good at is selecting locations that are going to be, you're going to, they're going to help you from a marketing perspective. And so we look at a couple different things when we do that. First, we look at where it's located, obviously, in relation to traffic flow, um, where it's located uh, based on competition, and then income. So you can really get in and figure out how many people are searching for a dentist in those areas and find kind of like a sweet spot or a, a spot that we're confident that we can hit a certain bar 
for new patient opportunities and new patients. Now, as far as foot traffic goes and patients just walking in and saying, hey, I found your practice. You know, I was walking by or I saw your practice as we drove by. That's a totally different ballgame. And what I have noticed is I've seen people who have started de novos, put them right behind a Taco Bell in an office building, zero visibility. Guess how many walk-ins they get? Zero, right? Now they saved a bunch of money on rent though. They're probably saving two, three, four thousand $4,000 a month on rent. On the flip side, I've seen de novos open up and get 50 walk-ins or even more than that. And yes, they paid two or three thousand dollars more in rent or whatever the the bump was, but or, they or got those double or triple. Who knows? It could be. Yeah, it depends, right? But but they they so they got that new patient bump, but they also experienced a rent bump. And so understanding that that you're either going to pay the marketing for the location, so you're going to pay the marketing company. You're going to come to me and say buy me more new patients, or you're going to go to the real estate guy and say I want to pay more for rent. And get a better location, so I get more people walking in. Uh, those, those, that conversation is a very, very important fa- conversation to have, and why working with experts like yourself is so important. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, that, you know, it's um, it's good here to hear you say that, and anybody who listens to the show hears me say all the time. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a factor of your marketing and viewing it in those terms is going to be really helpful. So it's like you know, success leaves clues as Tony Robbins would say. And there's yeah. a reason why the most successful DSOs in the entire world pay a lot in rent. It's because they get good spots. They get high visibility. They get a lot of foot traffic and they get a lot of patience as a result. Because yeah. like you said, uh, what you don't pay for in rent, you're going to have to pay for online. Now, of course, yeah. I think online ads are good. I think yeah. digital ads are, are good. But if you can offset a, some of that, or yeah, even, I, even if I, you can I, increase your maximum capacity. Yeah, so I, I would look at it as... So digital is good, but digital is ever changing. But foot traffic is much more uh, stable and just like you're basically locking in your rent, right? So you're locking in your rent for a long period of time. Digital can go up and down depending on competition and all those kind of things. More than likely your location, unless you're like you pick a bad location and the anchor store goes out of business or something like that. Outside of that, for the next three to five years or however long your lease is, your rent's fixed and you're going to have this fixed number of new patients coming in from that. So there's, it's a little, it's, it's more of a foundational thing, but I also understand like not everybody has that amount of money to pay for that upfront and might w- rather ease into it and use digital marketing as a, as more of a crutch. Right. Yeah. It is a little bit more expensive upfront for sure. Um, but yeah, every, everything you're saying is hundred percent true. It's like, if you look at it, I mean, if, if you know your numbers, right, you got to know your numbers, but if you know like your cost of acquisition for a new patient and then you know how many, new patients you might expect to get by having a more visible location. Like as an example, if you're take your, take what you said, you're recessed behind a Taco Bell, nobody can see you versus like going right next door, uh, paying an extra $10 a square foot, $15 a square foot. What are the chances that you can get like 10, 15, 20 new patients a month? Like pretty good. Right. Yeah. I would say not hundred percent, but almost like what are the chances that you can get, you get a loan 30, 40, maybe even so like probably also yeah. pretty good. And so it's like when you compare, okay, this is how much I'm getting per new patient bases or versus what I'm paying extra in rent. I mean, you know, the rent is one factor of your overall expenses, right? It's like, it seems daunting. Okay. This place is five grand. This place is 10 grand or this place is 11 grand. Like that's more than double the rent. Well, yeah, that's true. But it's going from, you know, five to 10% or, or, you know, 10 to 20% of your total overall expenses, but maybe you can increase your revenue by, 
I mean, we've had people literally double their revenue, yeah. um, monthly revenue exactly. by going yep. by relocating to a better place. So yeah, it's all it's all just about that perspective. Of, of yeah, you gotta. Uh, you but your point it. is you gotta understand the numbers. So your cost per acquisition is really important. Here's the thing that the devil's in the details on this one. So what most people do, I was just on a call with somebody who had. 700 locations and i they said our our cost per acquisition is x i said how are you solving for that and they said oh we take our total marketing budget divided by all of our new patients and i was like no 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 no. that's not the right way to figure out cost per acquisition because those aren't all your new patients weren't provided by marketing only some of them were Mm. and you need to know how many walk-ins you get how many patient referrals. referrals you get and how many marketing leads you get and then you once you have them bucketed then you can start applying your your budgets to those and then you can get an actual cost per acquisition. And then what I would look at for for the rent bump is if you're paying 5,000 and you go to 10,000, then what I would look at is, okay, well, I want to be at X dollars of cost per acquisition. You take the difference. So the $5,000 you increase divided by the how many new patients you would want to get, that should give you the number that you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I'm guessing too, when these people that you were talking with actually started calculating that way, I mean, their cost was a lot higher than they thought it was, right? Yeah, exactly. No, it was it's much like higher. as much patience on the same ad spend. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So now it looks like market, the marketing team is not doing as good of a job and, and everybody does it. Like everybody I've ever talked to does it the way, the wrong way. They divide it by everything. Same thing <laughs> with location. It would be like saying, oh, this location I get 100 new patients a month because of the location. No, you get probably like 30 from the location. You get another 20 from patient referrals and then you get another you know, X amount from marketing, mm-hmm. but you don't get all of them from the location. That's just not how it works. So making sure that you can bucket your new patients is huge. So um, I want to talk about two, two things uh, in our time. But for, first one, just being kind of like, you know, how do you help somebody target, like hone in their, their SEO to increase their uh, traffic, which I know is a loaded question. And the second one is just, you know, we'll get into that after is how, how did you go about scaling an organization from 15 to 100 people? So um, those are the kind of two things I want to talk about with the time that we have here today. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we hone in um, SEO? So the thing with SEO is that you need, dental's tricky. So in, in the SaaS world, I talk to people who come from like SaaS products or, you know, they sell a product or they have a, you know, some, something like that digital online. It's very easy just to create a landing page, get it SEO ranked, drive back to a store and you can track everything, right? Unfortunately, with Dentist, you can't do that. You have to have everything integrated. Everything has to be working together. Everybody wants to see your Google reviews. They want to see your website. They want to know your hours. They want to look at your team page. They want to look at your social media. So integration is really key on SEO is having everything working together and then having trackability. So if you, what I always tell people is who cares if you rank number one, it doesn't really matter if you don't know how many new patients or you can't even track how many new patients are coming from it. If you're going to invest in marketing, trackability is really the key. What is your, how much are you paying out to generate a phone call or someone contacting your office? And then how much is it to bring that patient through the door? And then how much treatment is that patient buying over the lifetime of their relationship with you? If you can actually measure that, it's huge. Now in dental, most people just use averages. So they go, oh yeah, just this divided by this. And I know lifetime, our lifetime value is like, you know, 10,000 bucks or whatever. Well, they're just making up numbers. And that doesn't actually tell you anything about your marketing. That's just made up stuff. So what we do is we actually track all of that. That's really, really important to us. And that actually tells us how we're doing 
And if we're not doing well, where it's breaking? Is there something breaking in marketing? Is there something breaking on the phones? Is there something breaking on the scheduling? Is there something breaking on no-show? Is there something breaking at treatment presentation? Is there something breaking at recare? Is there something breaking, you know, a year down the road, the patient isn't coming back? Is there an insurance issue? Is it an in-house membership issue? I could go on and on and on and on, right? <laughs> and so we we just keep, our mission at SMC is just to keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper into the office. And we look at everything from the PMS to the phone, to the chat, to the online scheduler, to uh, the the uh, phones, uh, and, and the marketing, the website, obviously, we tie all that together and then we aggregate that data to be able to tell you what you're actually getting and the outcomes that are coming from it. So SEO is amazing, but SEO doesn't mean a whole lot if you can't actually track it. So that's that's how I would answer that. Yeah, that's a, it's a great point, right? Because a lot of times you might listen to a TikTok video or you just you listen to a quick you know, five minute, three minute YouTube video that says, hey, you need SEO. And it's like, okay, great. All right. Like I, I need SEO. But when you really break it down, like the difference between using SEO and successfully using SEO is just like you talked about. I mean, it takes a long time, right? It's not just, yeah. not just like plug and play. It'd and, be like, it'd be like someone saying, Hey, to have a healthy mouth, just brush your teeth. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the equivalent is that it's like, well, yeah, you need to brush your teeth, but what are you brushing with? How are you brushing them? How are you, how often are you changing them out? Are you flossing? Are you using a water pick? How often are you going to the dentist? What are they saying? What is their record? Right? Like there's, it, there's a lot more to it than to have a healthy mouth than just, hey, brush your teeth. So at what stage does it make sense to start getting this granular with the data? Because it's like, you know, uh, as one example, you don't need like a centralized phone center for one location, right? Like yeah. you wait to get several locations to get up and going. Like what's your, what's your perspective on this? So there's a couple different ways to look at it. So for me, and keep in mind, take this with a grain of salt. I'm the marketing guy that sells marketing <laughs> for a living. But um, for me, it's, if I, if I need braces, I go, I, I have Invisalign. So when I needed Invisalign, guess where I went? I went to an orthodontist and, and I went to a dentist and said, Hey, I need Invisalign. And they helped me with that. And I counted on their expertise to be able to deliver what I, the end result that I wanted. I didn't do it myself. I didn't say, Oh, you know, I'm just going to put this thing in and hopefully it works. Or I'm going to do, um, you know, this mail-in thing and hopefully I do it right. That was, I didn't want to do that, right? Now, can you do that? Sure, people do it all the time. Is there major risk involved with it doing it yourself? Absolutely. And I would argue if you are running a dental practice and you have enough time to do all of your all of your own marketing, like you have too much time on your hands. You're doing something drastically wrong. So that's where we step in and we help you boil down everything. So it doesn't matter where you're at with your practice. We'll take your phones. We'll overlay whatever phone system you have. We'll take your PMS. We'll integrate with that, whatever it is. We'll take your marketing data and your website and we'll roll that all up. And then we can give you insights that nobody else has, like uh, the totality. I've only seen a couple of people build out themselves. I've seen a couple of people invest the, in the infrastructure to properly do this. And the reason that most people don't do that is number one, most organizations have bigger fish to fry. And number two, it costs hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to, to integrate everything that I just told you. And that's if you understand how to do it. So most people in the dental industry are not ex- marketing experts. And if you're not a marketing expert, it's really hard to integrate what I just told you and make it actually aggregate in a way that you can read it. So that's number one. Number two, you will get to the certain place where you need somebody to support your marketing. And that's different for everybody. 
And I really believe though, that everybody at a certain point will need somebody that they're bringing in internally, whether you work with an agency or not, and have them start taking things that agencies can't do. So as an example, an agency is never going to really be able to effectively post on social media for you. Well, why? Because they don't understand your culture. Can they post like generic content? Sure. We do that for people, right? But is that like the ultimate most effective thing in the world? No. What's what's effective is having somebody who's in your office, understands your culture, they're capturing, captioning uh, content and they're writing about it and they're sharing that with the community and they're interacting with people in your actual community. But that's what hard do you to think see. on that on that vein, what do you think is like the most effective thing to put on social media? Would it be like like uh, success stories, you know, people, uh, patients that you that they physically saw that you know they helped improve or or community events or, or well, it what? depends. It depends which kind of practice you are. So yeah, if you're a if you're a, a pediatric office, then moms, happy moms, uh, moms talking about how how fun this is and smiling kids. If you're a especially if you're an all on four. Uh, type office, then what you what we usually do is we build videos that are telling the journey of that patient and how you transform their life much more emotionally driven than the pedo right and then oh. there 's everything in between that there 's all kinds but basically what you want to do is you want to peek give a peek under the hood of what the journey for the patient is or what the and the experience and the outcome and how they feel from that or the uh the culture within your office. So something that we're, I post, I very rarely on my social media, we have pretty good followings on all our platforms. I very rarely post like, here's dental marketing tips. I don't do that. I post what I'm doing as an entrepreneur and the things that I'm facing and the, the usually where I failed. Like I talk a lot about, here's where I failed. Here's where I messed up. Here's what I learned from it. And that resonates with other business owners who happen, some of them happen to be potential clients and creates opportunities for us. So it, it, that I don't, it, it's kind of counterintuitive. A lot of dentists just want to post like, let's post a coupon and blast it out to everybody on social media. That's not really how it works. People don't really want to see that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm good. It's good. I'm glad. Cause it is, it's like when you think about a small physical brick and mortar business, you know, there is a lot of confusion about what do I post on social media? Because it reaches everybody. Right. So you're like, you're, it's, it can be confusing as to what like type of media or message or whatever that you're trying to send. But yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. It's like, who's the patient that we want to serve and what are they going to want to read? Like what's going to be compelling to them? Yeah. Well, and also a testimonial success story, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Before you even get to that, you also have to understand what's the difference between lead generation and branding. So you have to identify what you're actually trying to accomplish. So posting on social media is branding. You're, there is no ROI for it. There's no ROI for a billboard. Now you may argue, well, no, 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 no. We're getting these eyeballs. Yes, exactly. You can measure eyeballs. That's it. You don't know how many patients are actually going to come from it. And that's not the play of it. It's so that I'm a top of mind awareness. So that's much different than lead gen. Lead gen, you can measure every nook and cranny. And that's what we do for our clients. We can measure how much was it to, for the click? How much was it to, to turn that click into a phone call? How much was it to turn that phone call into a patient through the door? How much treatment did that patient buy on their first visit? How much patient, how much treatment did they buy over the last year? And how much treatment did they buy over the last five years? And then that gives you a true lifetime value. That's amazing to do from a lead generation standpoint. Branding's a whole different beast. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. All right. Um, and I, I kind of interrupted your train of thought there. So <laughs> Oh, you're good. Tangent. Yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> um okay, so 
Yeah. And, and um, anything else then that you want to add to that? No I, you? <laughs> no, I just think, I just think just if you're, if you're going to pick a marketing company, be really clear on what you want and saying like, I want a website. Well, then all you're going to get is a website. But if you want that website to produce something, you need to be clear on that. And you need to work with the right kind of company. So there's companies out there that are amazing at building brands. There's companies out there that are amazing at um, strategy, social strategy. There's there's companies out there that are amazing at lead gen. Those are totally all three different kinds of marketing companies. You need to be clear on what you want from those companies. And if you do that, then you'll usually have a good outcome and a good result from that. And then being able to actually track results is really the key if, if that's what you want. So if you say... All I care about is new patients. We're the company. We're, that's what we do. We do lead generation. And then we're able to tell you before we even start working together, here's the output that you're going to see from these dollars. And and then we have clear KPI so you can hold us accountable and hold your team accountable. I love it. So uh, yeah, that definitely answers the, those questions very succinctly. I want to also just talk about the process of scaling an organization as the entrepreneur, as the founder. So... Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of talk about culture and culture is very important, but what is culture is, you know, among, is a topic among debate. Um, there's that saying culture eats strategy for breakfast, yep. but, um, I mean, you know, what do you think, like obviously having a, a product people want, that's important, right? Yeah. And then there's, um, getting that product out, like getting the message out so people see it. And then there's fulfillment of the product. And then, you know, there's kind of, there's the, there's the external bringing in new clients and there's the ex- internal, which is bringing in new employees, right? There's all these types of things. So I'm just curious, like, you know, what, how has the journey been for you? What do you think was the most surprising thing and, and some of the hardest things that you had to overcome? So, yeah. So culture, I used to think that culture was a fluffy word that people use to sell books. It was totally just like this made up thing, whatever. We're all here to work. We're all. I, I used to think it meant free kombucha and ping pong in the foyer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I, I learned very quickly that that's not the case. If you want to grow a company and you want to do it without pulling your hair out every single day, then you need to know how to build your culture. And I do. The other thing, I, the other lie that I used to tell myself is that. Are you guys all virtual, by the way? We are. We're 100% virtual. Everyone's, yeah. Everyone's located everywhere. Okay. Yep. And so, which, which, is is relatable to the DSOs in the groups, right? Because you're the DSO, you have all your people at the DSO, but then everybody else is all over the place and in the offices. So there's a level there's a level of that, that that these groups are dealing with. And so you need you need clarity to be able to you need to be able to measure your culture. And some people I've heard people tell me early on it was like you can't measure, you can't measure culture. I totally disagree with that now. You can 100% measure culture and you can effectively move that needle up or down depending on how you deal with people. And so, and, and I boil it down to this, you need one word, you need alignment, you need external alignment, meaning you need to know what your company's aiming for and what you stand for. So that's your why, your, your core values and what you, the product or service that you provide. But then you need internal alignment and that's more around that's more around how we interact with each other the unspoken culture right is it cool that you slack me at 10 o'clock at night with a cool idea or no i'm gonna wait till tomorrow and i'm gonna reach out to him and set up a meeting to do that right like there's not a wrong answer on that Mm -hmm. there's like it's cool if you do it either way but it's what is your culture 
for that. And it takes time to learn that. And it takes time to develop that. Once, if people are uncomfortable and they don't know that, that internal, they don't have that internal alignment, then your people aren't going to take risk. They're not going to know how to communicate with one another. All that has to be developed and it happens over time. So that's the first part from there. Then I want to measure culture. So how do I measure my culture? So the first thing that we do is we do an ENPS score. We used to do it every quarter. Now we do it every six months. An EMPS score is an employee net promoter score. And what that does is it tells us blindly, so we don't know who's filling this out. Like the team can do it without uh, us knowing who's saying it. So if they say something bad about us, they don't get in trouble, right? Um, And so we do that every six months. And it's a score ranked on a negative 100 to positive 100. An amazing ENPS score for like an 80 to 100, 200 person team is like in the 50s. If you have a 50, that means you have a lot of people on your team that lo- that would p- promote you, meaning they would tell their friends or family to work with you. Right now, the last time we took it, our net EMPS score was at 82, which is insanely wow. high, like insanely <laughs> high. So now one of the things, now why is our score so high? Well, it's the number one metric that we look at. So before top line revenue, before profitability, before churn, before uh, NPS, which is uh, net promoter score for our clients, before any of that, I want to know what is my net ENPS score. That's the first line that we look at. And And here's why that's so important. If me and the team are aligned, then we can do anything. If the team and I are not aligned, then it's going to be hard to do any initiative that I want to get done. And the bigger you get, the more true that is. So that's the first thing. The next thing is we want to have, I want to have a weekly pulse score. So every week the team fills out a pulse score with, and they have a one, everybody has a one-on-one. It doesn't matter. I have one-on-ones. Everybody in the whole company has a one-on-one. And every, every week, the one-on-one? Every week, every week. Yeah. Okay. Wow. No, summer. That's, that's cool. So some are 30 minutes and some are an hour, but it just, you can, you can make them longer or shorter, but everybody has it in that one-on-one before they go into that one-on-one, they fill out what's called a pulse score. Now this one isn't done blindly. This one, everybody's like the, 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 the leader can see it and I can see it. So what I do is I go in and I look at that. Now five means they feel amazing. Four means they feel really good. Three means they feel below par. Um, two fit means they feel horrible and one means they couldn't feel worse. Now, I and I remind the team this every week in our team meeting. Everybody comes to the team meeting. I remind them, this is how you feel overall for everything. Not just work, not just personal life, everything. How are you doing as a human being? I want to know. Now, you don't. if you're a one or a two, you don't have to tell me why you're a one or a two. But I need to know that if you're a one or a two because then we want to support you. So I'll give you an example. Someone's very, very... Someone... Uh, is you know a team member and their baby gets COVID, hmm. and that you have a baby. Your baby's screaming and crying and kicking and up all night, and you go to do you fill out your thing and you're like, man, I'm a two. I feel horrible. And you put in there, my baby's been really sick. My you know things have been really rough. My wife is not sleeping. I'm not sleeping. We can pretend like that doesn't impact your work if we want, but it's going to impact your work, right? Like you're not going to perform at your normal level that you normally do, no matter what anybody says. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. That's just the truth of the matter. And so I want to know that because then guess what? First thing we're going to do, manager's going to go, okay, what can I send Austin to help cheer him up? So I'm going to send him a coffee. I'm going to send his wife 
some, you know, a sleeping mask or some earplugs or something, right? Or whatever. And I'm going to try to cheer him up that way. That's the first thing. So you know that we know that you're going through the struggle and that we support you. Number two, now we can come in and support you and say, hey, Austin, I know you're. it's hard going and raising a baby at this stage that you're at. What can we take off your plate to help you? What can we take, you know, support you? Can we take some meetings off your plate? Can we, what can we do to help you? And so when, when people are feeling down, we just come in to support them. We don't try to like bash them. We don't try to beat them up. We don't try to, none of that. Like whatever they're going through, we've had people who's had spouses, uh, family members pass away. Same thing. It's like, let's send them a plant or some flowers. Let's check in with them. Let's ask them if they need to take time off. What, how can we support this individual? So this this happens every week. We're on a team our size. Every week, somebody's going through something and we just want to support them. And they know that. Like our team knows that. I support them like they like I care about them. And, like, and they do the same for me. So by doing that, we're always showing up for each other. And uh, it's, it's, helped, it's reduced our turnover. It's reduced our churn rate. It's reduced... Uh, I have several team members. This is crazy. I've never heard this before recently i have multiple team members telling me i want to retire with smc well that's to me i'm just like that's wild right like i never thought that i would build a company that people would want to retire at like what does that even mean right so it that's that's how we that to me that's how we've built our culture and i wouldn't change it for all the uh, for all the money in the world so yeah i love i love this and i i love this topic too because i think it's so important and you know i I'm going to speak in a little bit of generalizations here, but it seems like there are kind of two types, personality types when you get to, you know, when you talk about entrepreneurs and CEOs and COOs, co-founders, founders, et cetera. Um, a lot of times that's why it's, you know, it's helpful to have multiple co-founders, even though not necessary, but it's because you've got kind of one personality type, which is very numbers driven, another personality type, which is very people driven or, or, or relationship driven. A lot of those times, like those two personalities don't, you know, happen on the same person. Yeah. And so... It sounds like you have now a very personality, a relationship-driven personality, and maybe you didn't. Maybe you developed that. Um, and so, let's speak to the numbers side. Like, how do we make the numbers work? And so, um, you know, because you still have to have like I think the personality, the culture is is very important, but you also need those systems, right? And you need accountability. So, what are the what are the things that you measured? Like, was there anything that you started measuring early on that? turned out to be not important. And then you figured out, okay, I actually need to measure them and hold them accountable to this number and do it this way. Yeah. So this is a work in progress. We, we haven't mastered this, but we're getting better at it every day. So number one, you need to have clear metrics of what drives your company. So what are the actual numbers that really matter? What, what are those? And you have to have those and they have to be simple and they have to be accessible. Sometimes it sounds easy. Like, yeah, just get your numbers, but sometimes things aren't as clear as you would think they would be. So that's number one. Number two, each department needs to know what they're owning. How do they drive success towards that number? And then each team member needs to know what winning and losing is. So if you can, and I know it sounds simple, but if you can get everybody having like one thing that they're focusing on, and some people have more, but if you can get to that one thing and they know what winning and losing is, that brings huge impact to the company. And so what usually ends up happening though, and I've made this mistake multiple times over and over and over again, is that if you don't define what winning and losing is, so let's say you and I work together and, and, I, and, and you report to me and I say, all right, here's your job, go do it. Well, if I don't define winning and losing, then you're going to find winning and losing in your head and you're going to deliver on that. 
and it may be a hundred miles away from what I think winning and losing is, right? And or if I speak in generalities, yeah, just just crush it, just yeah, Austin. If you just kill it, man, do your thing. That is a recipe for disaster. If I but if I come to you and I say, hey, your your one thing is to help me make sure that we get one sale a week. Then from there you go, okay, cool. And then if you don't hit that, then I have to help you reverse engineer that. All right, well, how many sales calls did you make this week? How many how many outreaches did you do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so you can reverse engineer any number and create a whole list of KPIs for people, but you have to have that number. And if you don't, then usually it's going to wreak havoc in your company. So is there like a real world example we could go through? Obviously not using like real names, but is there an example, like a number that you guys use, a position that you use and different... Um, like accountability um, cadences that you have in place? Yeah, well, the weekly one-on-one is the first place. And then... Okay, so you're talking about how they are they one through five, you know, emotionally, personally. And then you're also at that same time, you're going through and you're saying like, hey, how are you doing um, on these goals? So yeah. I guess, I'm guessing then, because a lot of times if you have a really important goal, you're not going to get it done in a week. It's going to be a quarter or a year or even two years, right? So then you have, you've broken that down into different steps or, or different rocks as they call it in traction. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you have bigger, we have bigger um, initiatives that we're trying to tackle. Um, and then we you have to reverse engineer that through the departments. So the cool part is about having a leadership team is that we are taking these bigger objectives and then they're working it backwards into their team. And so each of their team members are then feeding up into that. So like a real life, what you would really want is you want to be, how is this person feeling as a human being? What, how are they performing? And then how, what's their bandwidth is the next one. So figuring out bandwidth and that's hard to do. Like for that's, that's always a tricky one, but we're getting better and better at it is figuring out, okay, what is the operational bandwidth of this person? What can they actually deliver? Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, they say you don't have like a real company until if you died tomorrow, like it would continue to exist and yeah. thrive on its own. So I guess, do you think you're, you guys are, are there or do you think there's a couple of things that you need to put in place first? Yeah. So I test it. Rank? So I, I do still do certain things in the company that I love doing, but we test it. So I'll leave for a couple of weeks and not answer any questions. Right. And then I used to not like doing that cause I, it's so stressful. You know what I mean? But we, <laughs> yeah. uh, but now, now I do it. I come back and it's like, okay, what burnt down? And it's like, oh, this burnt down. Okay. Well then this needs to be fixed for the most part. The company would totally survive. And there are, there are certain things that I still do. Like, as an, I'll give you an example. I'm, I am really active on social media and people know that I do dental marketing. And if I died, that wouldn't, that would stop. So that wouldn't be recreated. Right. Um, how would that impact our sales and our marketing and all that kind of stuff? I really don't know. I'm sure we could backfill it with other ways. So I, if I died and my salary disappeared, then they could probably use that towards marketing, right? So that's that's kind of how I look at that. So we're close. I'd yeah, say we're either, and, and you know, I would say we're there or we're really close. Yeah, well, um, it's, it's interesting. Interesting statistic I heard is Bill Gates has more followers than Microsoft right? So more people want to know about what he's doing. Richard Branson has a bigger following than any of his Virgin companies. And so Elon yeah, Musk. it's hard. Elon it's Musk. kind of like a, yeah, it's a hard question to answer because there's, 
there's so much, there's so many dynamics to it. So there is um, a personal, I think personal brands are really important though. I think that's the future of marketing. The future of marketing is personal branding. Yeah. And so then how would you equate that to a DSO? How does a DSO create a personal brand? So great question. So if I was, oh, absolutely. So if I was in a DSO, now we don't do this, right? This isn't my service. But if I ran a DSO, what I would do is I would do a day in the life of a DSO CEO. And I would capture behind the scenes of what's going on in my DSO and what's how I'm interacting with the offices. And then I would hand select a couple managers and other people to do it as well. And then I would use that for recruiting and recruiting of team members. And I would use that for recruiting of um, buying offices and working with people. And I would have a huge leg up on everybody in the industry because I would I would have connections with people in the dental industry before I ever even met them. Mm, brilliant. You've given some thought to it, I can see. <laughs> yeah, well, because like for me, I'll give you an example for us. So on a, a marketing level. So I had trouble recruiting high-end marketing talent. Well, why? Because we're in the dental industry. Like no market, no marketers ever woken up and said, man, I just really want to do dental marketing. Nobody ever, not one. <laughs> they want to go do cool stuff on, on cool tech products and cryptocurrency and phone games and things <laughs> and video games. Right. So no one's thinking about dental. Yeah. So to go get that talent, I got to get them to think about me. I, they have to know like, Hey, this is a company and this is an option. And so once I started building my personal brand, that really helped me to attract talent because people were like, man, I just want to work with you. I don't care what you do. I like how you do it. And so that changes the dynamic. And I, I really believe that this is the future of brand marketing is going to be personal brand marketing. The CEO putting themselves out there and saying, here's where I'm good at. Here's what I stink at. Here's, here's what my life's like. And that gives you huge legs up. And I've seen a lot of corporate, bigger corporations now starting to roll this, this approach out. Even even Elon Musk, to my smart, point, yeah. Elon Elon Musk, Tesla doesn't yeah. pay for marketing. They don't have a marketing budget. Zero dollars on their marketing budget. And, and, he's, and he's got such a bigger following than Tesla or SpaceX combined, right? Like everybody is really fascinated with Elon Musk and, and what he's doing. So yeah, another great example for sure. Yeah, I mean, he built, he, built so, brand, he built those brands off of his personal brand. And I'm not saying you have to do that, but imagine, like, let me ask you a question, Austin. If I was a, a DEO... CEO or a DSO CEO, would you would you follow me on social media to see what my life was like inside the D, uh, the DSO? Yeah, you'd be, yeah, you'd, yeah, because yeah, great point. It's fascinating, right? Like every, no we one's, see the no one's, reel, but what's no one's the doing the that. Yeah, every the D, um, yeah. the DSOs are all closed door. No one knows what's happening in those in those meetings. Well, I think yeah, and I wonder how much of it is because they. They think what they're doing is proprietary versus it's just a lot of work, right? Like, it's a ton of work. I mean, it's you know, or your little 30 second minute long videos that seem easy. I mean, I know a lot of work goes into doing those, finding the right sound bites, making them be cool, finding upbeat music and, and text to go along there. I mean, it, it's not easy. No, it's not. <laughs> you, need a, you need a marketing team. But again, if you have all this money and you're like, well, we, our biggest bottleneck is recruiting and okay, let's go hire a headhunter or let's build a website. Well, everybody's doing that. So how do you differentiate yourself? Yeah. You got to do something different. Yeah, it's super smart. And then in so, 20 in 20 it, yeah, years in 20 years everybody's going to be doing it and then you got to find something else. Right. <laughs> but that's a long time, right? I yeah. mean um so yeah, I, this has been super helpful. We were getting close to closing here. Is there anything that 
you want to talk about or maybe put a nail in that we, we didn't finalize or didn't get to? No, absolutely not. I really enjoyed being on today. And if there's anything I can uh, do for your audience, please reach out. Uh, my social handles are the Gary Bird on everything. And I would try to respond to everything on there. And then you can also uh, learn more about our company, smcnational.com. Perfect. I'm going to write those down in the show notes. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll link back to your uh, original recording that we did too. So well, hey, this is great. Uh, it's cool, man. There's been so much evolution uh, between our first podcast and today. So it was awesome having you back on the show and I uh, definitely appreciate your time and your insight. Thanks, Austin. It was great being here. I appreciate you, man. If you need help finding the perfect location for your practice or you're ready to invest in commercial real estate, email us podcast at leadersre.com. That's podcast at leadersre, R-E as in realestate.com. Or go to leadersre.com and fill out our form. See you next time. Thank you.